Joe and all the leaders who served this week. It really was an amazing week. So Joe, thank you so much. Great job. <clears throat> Nothing is more important in the church than passing our faith on to the next generation. And nothing will allow us to pass our faith on to the next generation than having a real faith. Having a solid faith in Jesus Christ, building our lives on the solid rock of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to invite you to this morning. We're going to come back to 1 Peter. We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, and we've been trying to learn from Jesus how to be equipped to live in the midst of a world that is growing increasingly hostile to our faith. Listen, we're not the first generation to experience life in a world that's hostile and growing increasingly hostile to faith. We're not the first generation. We won't be the last. We can be equipped with the Word of God to be able to stand for Jesus in our generation. So I want to read chapter 2 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 4. We're going to read through verse 8, and I'm going to pray. We'll jump into this passage. Coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed." This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Father, take the things of Jesus and make them so real to our hearts that we would take into the very center of our lives this person, Jesus. Jesus, we come to you. We confess you to be the cornerstone. And I pray there would not be a heart here that isn't touched by the master craftsman Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, come in this place. In every place someone is watching online, be present in our lives now to make Jesus real to us. That in knowing him, we might build our lives upon a solid, solid rock, a precious quarterstone. I pray in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, ends his sermon with an invitation. It's an invitation to build your life on the solid rock that is Jesus. 
And Jesus issued that invitation with a warning. And he said, if you build your life on anything other than me, you're building your life on sand. And when storms come in your life, your life will be wrecked. But if you build your life on Jesus, storms will still come in your life. I'm looking out in a room of people, and I know the storms that have come in your life. I know the storms of, of illness that has come in your life. I know the storms of, of struggle in the marketplace. I know the relational storms that have come in your life, the marriage troubles. I know the storms of parenting that have come in your life. And I know that Jesus Christ is a solid rock, a cornerstone, that if you build your life upon him, you will not be disappointed. And I'm praying for me, and I'm praying for you, that this morning we would come to see the incredible value of Jesus Christ above everything in this world. Jesus Christ is precious I'm praying for all of us that Jesus Christ would be known as the precious cornerstone of his church. That Jesus is the precious cornerstone of his church. The foundation is the Bible. And we are living stones joined together in a house for God called the church. Jesus Christ is the precious cornerstone of his church. The Bible is the foundation. And we are living stones. We're going to unpack that. Let's start with that first, first part. Jesus is the precious cornerstone. Jesus. In verse 4, Peter says this. Coming to him. Who's the him? Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the precious cornerstone. All this description of this life of faith built upon a person, Jesus. Christianity does not invite you to a theology alone. It invites you to a person. And built upon that person, Jesus Christ, comes a life, a worldview that you can count on and build your life upon. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus is his name. Jesus was the name given to the Son of God when he took upon himself our humanity. God and man in one person. He was called Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from their sins. You see, we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. We build our lives upon someone who's done everything for us, and we receive life from him. Jesus, the Savior, is our cornerstone. Not Jesus, the moral teacher, although he teaches great ethics. But he's not primarily a moral teacher. He's primarily a savior from sin and death 
and hell and separation from God. And so we come to Jesus. Jesus, a precious cornerstone. If you want to learn to value Jesus Christ above everything else in your life, you will not arrive at the position of seeing Jesus Christ as the precious cornerstone by looking to public opinion. You will not come to believe in Jesus as the precious cornerstone by following the algorithms of your social media feeds. You will not scroll through your social media and discover the precious value of Jesus. But if you'll look to Scripture, and if you'll listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit to see and savor Jesus Christ above everything else, then you will find in Jesus a precious cornerstone. I've been following Jesus since I was a sophomore in college. That was many years ago. And I have disappointed Jesus time after time after time, but he has never once disappointed me. He is a precious cornerstone. And everyone who has come to the real Jesus has found Jesus to be a precious cornerstone. Moses found Jesus to be a precious cornerstone. Moses, and we looked at Moses in the book of Exodus at the beginning of this year. This is how the writer of Hebrews summarizes part of Moses' life. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Jesus Christ is precious. He is worthy of all worship and praise and honor and glory. And the people who knew Jesus best, the apostles, as you read through the letters of the New Testament, you'll see the apostles just go bananas over Jesus. Oh, that God would give me and God would give you through these writings of these apostles, the ability to see and savor Jesus Christ as being of more precious value than anything the world can offer. I have one overarching purpose in life. The one overarching purpose of my life is this, to make a big deal about Jesus. If you learn one thing from me in our years together, I pray that it will be this, that Jesus Christ is precious, that Jesus Christ is amazing, that Jesus Christ is worth following with everything you've got because he is worthy. 
person who taught me that Jesus is worthy was a woman named Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere was a missionary to Africa. She was a medical doctor from England. She went to Africa as a missionary. She told the message of the gospel. She translated the scriptures. And there in the Congo, Helen Rosevere was there in the Congo when communists came into Congo and overthrew the government and they began a terrible persecution of the church. And Helen Rosevere underwent untold trauma, emotional, physical. And Helen Rosevere was asked, what made it possible for you to endure this hostility, to endure this ridicule, to endure this physical suffering, to endure this trauma? What made it possible? And her answer was this. Jesus Christ is worthy. If you only live for Jesus because it's worth it, you won't live for Jesus as long as you need to. If you only live for Jesus because it works for you, you won't live for Jesus as long as you need to. But if you live for Jesus because he is the precious cornerstone, because he is worthy, then you will follow Jesus all the way to the end of your life in faithfulness to him. One of my heroes is a man named John Stott. John Stott was at the end of his life with only weeks to live. He was visited by a friend of his, Oz Guinness, another one of my heroes. Oz Guinness visited with John Stott in his on his deathbed. He's, he's so close to heaven. Oz Guinness said, how can I pray for you? And John Stott's prayer for himself is my prayer for myself, and it's my prayer for you. Pray that I would be faithful to Jesus to my dying breath. Why? Because he's worthy. Jesus Christ is the precious cornerstone. Jesus is the precious cornerstone. Now, Peter quotes two Old Testament passages. He quotes Isaiah chapter 28, and he quotes Psalm verses, uh, Psalm chapter 18, the 118th Psalm. Oh, so let's look at Isaiah 28 first. What do we learn in Isaiah 28 about this cornerstone? Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone. What does it mean that Jesus Christ was a tested stone? The word testing is the same word that sometimes you translated temptation. There was once a son of God named Adam. He was a son because he was created by God. He was placed in a garden. And in that garden, he was tested. He was tempted. And he failed the test. And when Adam failed the test, everyone who came after Adam inherited the same rebellious, sinful, broken sin nature that Adam received because of his rebellion. 
And every one of us have that same rebellious sin nature. But there was one Son of God, Jesus Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking humanity on himself. He was fully God and fully man and one person. And being fully man, he underwent the same temptation, the same testing. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. But Jesus was without sin. He passed every test. He racked up a record of righteousness. What does it mean that Jesus is a tested stone? It means that he was tempted in every way and he passed. He did that for you. He lived the life that we should have lived. But then he was willing, as our cornerstone, to die the death we deserve to die. And on the cross, he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserved. He's a costly cornerstone. It cost him everything. Jesus gave everything that he had for you. He's a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Literally, will not be ashamed. If you come to Jesus Christ as the precious cornerstone, you won't be ashamed. What will you receive from Jesus? If you turn and trust in him, you'll receive his righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he'll see the testing and the obedience of his son credited to you. And he'll see the cost has been expended The payment has been made on the cross. He'll see that the payment has been paid in full and you will be forgiven and are forgiven through his work on your behalf. That is the precious cornerstone. One life lived for you. One death died for you. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. That means that Jesus goes in the corner of the foundation, and everything else conforms to him. Everything else takes his pattern onto their lives, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we come to faith in Christ, then we're added to Christ, and we take on his likeness. We follow Jesus and become more and more like him. Jesus is the precious cornerstone. Psalm 118 tells us just a little bit more. In Psalm 118, verse 22, this passage is quoted throughout the New Testament. In verse 22, it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That means that there is not one place in all the universe that Jesus Christ can't say, this belongs to me. He's the chief cornerstone. That's what's emphasized in Psalm 118, verse 22. But though he's the chief cornerstone, there are some who reject him, who rejects him. Well, verse 22 tells us it's the builder's who reject them. Who are the builders? Builders are anyone who thinks 
that they can build their life on something better than Jesus. Some of us think that our lives would be better if we could just go our own way and not have to submit ourselves to the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. That we think we're wiser than God. We think we know the way to a, a happy, a joyful, a fulfilled life better than God. And so we try to live our life in a better way than Jesus says conforms to his cornerstone. Others of us try to live an obedient, holy religious life to offer to God a record of righteous other, righteousness other than the one Jesus secures for us. Whichever one of those, whether it's legalism trying to create our own righteousness or license trying to go our own way because we're wiser than God, either one of those makes us a builder. We're trusting in something other than Jesus. Genesis chapter 11 says that that way of building has already been evaluated and shown to be a failed way of life. Verse 4, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The things that we try to build our life on other than Jesus, they're legion. Some try to live, build their life on, on a, a righteousness, a reputation, a standing, a security in their education. Others try to build their life, build their reputation, build their security on their health. Others of us try to build our life build our reputation, build our security on our wealth, our prosperity, our material stuff. Some of us try to build our life on something other than Jesus, and whatever it is, you'll be disappointed. Health will eventually fail us all. Wealth will eventually disappoint us all. Anything other than Jesus will ultimately cost you everything. But if you trust yourself to Jesus, if you build your life on the cornerstone of Jesus, you will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. And so Peter, in Acts chapter 4, was asked to give a defense for his hope in Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, he uses Psalm 118, Verse 22, again, and he quotes it, this time as an invitation. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which, the builder, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one cornerstone that will bring about salvation. There's only one cornerstone that you can build your life on. Be guaranteed you will not be disappointed. His name is Jesus.
Now, if that's true, the question then is, well, how do I get into that? How does that begin to become my foundation? How do I begin to allow Jesus to be my cornerstone? Well, it certainly starts by believing, but then we're built up in him through the scriptures. That's why we said Jesus is the precious cornerstone of his church. The Bible is its foundation. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see Paul use this imagery of the cornerstone in Ephesians 2, verse um, 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here we learn that the foundation of this teaching about Jesus is the Bible. And we saw two weeks ago, I began teaching you about the authority of the Bible, and I said that there was a time in your life when the Bible was apart from you. You didn't submit to the scriptures, and you couldn't submit to the scriptures. But then the scripture came into your life, and there's a temptation for us to try and take the place of authority over the Bible to say, well, I kind of like this, but I don't so much like that. That puts us in authority over the Bible. And God says, no, that's not how it works. This is how it works. You place yourself under the authority of the Bible, and the Bible has the right to command your beliefs and your actions. Now, why would a person believe that? Well, a few weeks ago, I gave you one reason. One reason to believe in the authority of the Bible is that the Bible fits with reality. It fits with what I see in the world. When I read the Bible, I see true truth that fits with the reality that I see worked out in the world that I live in. It's not a fairy tale. It's not imaginary. It's real, true truth. It fits with reality. The second reason that we should submit to the authority of the Bible is because Jesus did. We saw that last week. Jesus Christ quotes over, uh, he quotes 24 of the Old Testament books of the Bible. Jesus Christ loved the scripture and he submitted himself to the authority of the scripture. So we should too. Now, here's one more reason this week. The reason we should submit to the authority of the Bible, one other reason is this, the apostles. The apostles were men just like we are, and yet, as eyewitnesses, as eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection, as eyewitnesses of that, their lives were so radically transformed that each of them were willing to give the full and great sacrifice of their own lives for the sake of what was true according to what this book teaches. They were so radically transformed and these writings, this book of the New Testament, was written during their lifetime. And so if they were ever to take a chance to recant, to say, oh yeah, you know, never mind, we were just kidding. They could have, but none of them did. And they all died martyrs' deaths because they were living under the authority of this book and what it teaches about Jesus Christ. So the Bible's foundation 
is our foundation. The foundation of the church is the Bible. We submit to its authority and we say, yes, it has the right to command our beliefs and our actions. Now, we are living stones. We are living stones. Now, how can something dead, inanimate, cold, how can a stone come alive? Because we're living stones because we're connected to Jesus. And how did we get connected to Jesus? We got connected to Jesus because chapter 1, verse 23 of Peter happened. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. When this book comes into my life, it causes me to be born again. When the Holy Spirit moved into my life, he caused me to be born again, to see my need of Jesus and to see Jesus for who he really is, to be born again. That is how, that's how stones become living stones. That's how we are able to be joined to Christ is through this experience of a new birth and saving faith in Christ alone. Has that happened for you? What I want for all of us here this morning, and, and for those of you who are watching online, what I want for us is to come to Jesus and find your place in his church. The invitation that Peter gives is, come to Jesus and find your place in his church. Now, first we have to come to Jesus. Verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. First, we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. We come to Jesus and we believe that God made him, Jesus, to be the one who would bear our sin. In 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Have you come to Jesus for salvation? Have you come to Jesus turning from trusting in yourself and trusting in Christ alone for salvation as he's offered to you in the gospel? Have you? Won't you? Won't you come to him as a living stone? Won't you come to him as the one sin bearer? The one righteous one who is willing to give his life for you. Won't you come to him for salvation? Won't you believe and trust in him alone? Now, if you've done that, if you've put your trust in Jesus, so now what? So now we keep coming. We keep coming to Jesus to draw life from him. Charles Spurgeon comments on this passage. This is what he says. Be always coming to Christ as to a living stone. We've come to him for salvation. 
And we're coming to him and we keep on coming to him, sinking down, settling in, resting on our living stone, always pressing closely upon Christ. Francis Schaeffer, in what may be the, one of the best sermons ever preached in the English language, the Lord's work and the Lord's way, this is what he says. There is no source of power for God's people except Christ himself. Apart from Christ, anything which seems to be spiritual power is actually the power of the flesh. If you are not consciously trusting in Christ alone, if you are not consciously, through faith, drawing on the spiritual resources of Christ, then you will draw upon the resources of your flesh. You will draw upon the resources that you have at your own disposal, and you will be disappointed. But if you consciously draw, through faith, on the resources of Christ... The Christian life is a received life. It's lived through faith in Christ from beginning to end. We start by faith in Christ. We end by faith in Christ. And we're sustained all the way through, through faith in Christ alone. That's what it means that Christ is the cornerstone. We come to him for everything in the Christian life. So let me ask you this. How? Are you, how are you consciously placing your life under the authority of Jesus to live life by Christ, for Christ, with Christ? How are you in your daily life consciously putting your trust in Christ and drawing your life from his spiritual resources? Are you going through your day in the marketplace, drawing from the resources that you have on hand? Or are you consciously drawing from the life of Christ? That's why we come together to learn how to draw from the life of Christ, to be encouraged and supported and prayed for. That's why we step into a biblical community. Where in your life are you intentionally drawing from Jesus for the resources you need to live this life? Coming to Jesus and finding your place in the body of Christ. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now look, did you notice? It says, you also as living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house, singular. So there are multiple stones but one house. How can the church be one and yet many? Because we reflect the beauty and the wonder and the glory of our God who is one and yet three. We reflect the beauty and the glory, the diversity of life in this world. There's one earth, but it's filled with a diversity of life. 
and we are many. The church of Jesus Christ is a diversity of living stones all joined together in one church. How can that be? How can we be the beautiful church? How can we be the household? Because we have one cornerstone. Everything goes back to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ plays in St. Augustine and Tenbuktu. And Jesus Christ is Lord in St. Augustine and Algeria and Nigeria and Iran and Afghanistan and China and Russia and Colombia. Jesus Christ is Lord everywhere and he invites men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to come and trust in him and build their life on the cornerstone and Jesus Christ is that cornerstone for people from every corner of this earth and he can be the cornerstone for every single one of you with all your experiences and all your stories and all your needs come to Jesus and we have one Lord, one faith. We are one people joined in him. The only way for that to happen is through the gospel. The only way for us to be the people is not to build our church on anything other than Jesus. So let's build our church on Jesus, the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God, and let's be living stones. You come to Jesus, and you find your place in his church. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so amazing to me that you are the cornerstone. And yet on my best day, I come so short of the vision of the greatness and the glory of you, King Jesus. But I come, I come again and I come again and I come again and I come again to draw life from you. Jesus, work in this place work amongst this people that we might come to you Jesus the cornerstone and in drawing life from you we might become a household existing to the praise of your glory and grace father may there not be one person here in this room right now who isn't trusting in you Jesus If you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to saving faith in Jesus, if you've been building your life on anything other than Christ, you come to the cornerstone. You say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I admit I've been building my life on everything other than you. I've sinned against you in many ways, and I am sorry. Jesus, I believe you are the cornerstone. I believe you lived the life I should have lived and died the death I deserve to die. You rose from the dead. I receive you as Savior and Lord. I ask you to help me become the person you want me to be.
Jesus, apart from your Holy Spirit, apart from the greatness of your glory, my words are just drifting off into thin air. But oh, Holy Spirit, if you would take it, take your word, take the gospel, press it deep into our lives. We keep coming. Keep coming, pressing Jesus more and more into the center of our life that we would build our life on you. Oh, make it happen, Father, to the praise of your glory. Make it happen, Jesus, you're worthy. Make it happen, Holy Spirit. It's only your power that can do it. Amen.